This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. When you speak about calm water, or you speak about a lot of water, you, you have a very, very hard problem um, in defining it. You can't. When somebody says it's a big building, well, what does a big building mean? A big building can mean, some people think this building is big, some people think it's small. It depends who you ask, it depends what you compare it to. So anytime you have a, 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 an adjective, you really, really are kind of stuck with asking yourself, what is it? Um, so for instance, one might try to define orthodoxy, and we'll see in a second. It's a little easier because keeping all the laws as they're written in Shoharuch, and I was believing that it was given, um, that the laws were given at Sinai, that as a God, He gave us laws at Sinai, we're obligated morally to keep it, and the laws are as they pen in Shoharuch. That's, that's at least a fairly good definition. Just like, let's take some parallel, Christianity would be defined somebody who believes in Yeshu, that's a, a definition. Modern, well, some people would consider me very modern, some consider me very old-fashioned. Um, and the truth is, it, it depends what you're comparing it to. So really, you're grappling with something that is more a, a, a sort of a sense of something, something that is socially generally seen as something, but very, very hard to give it a frozen definition. And that's why when people speak about modern orthodoxy with a capital M and a capital O, we're going to have a problem because it's really an adjective and not a noun, and certainly not an organization. So we'll, we'll try to get wrestle a little bit with some of the sense of it, but. It's very hard because no one is the posse of modern orthodoxy. No one can even define modern orthodoxy. So let's try, but there is something like that, and we can get a sense of it. First of all, the word orthodoxy is a relatively new invention, the word orthodoxy. The word orthodoxy actually was, in, was incorporated in Judaism after the word reform was incorporated. The, the, the reform movement started first in the... Um, you can trace it at the end of the 1700s, early 1800s, and the, the, the lashback, the, sort of the, the, the people who were not reforming Judaism were called Orthodox, borrowed from the Christian sense, Orthodox versus Catholic, meaning somebody who is the true thinker, true shita, that type of thing. So Orthodoxy itself really is a modern term. That's the truth. Now, um, the... the um, as orthodoxy described a huge range of people who kept, who felt the Torah obligates them no matter what um, people began to classify and, and notice that there are different types of people so you have Hasidish you have um, just Haredi which is kind of a general term modern, more modern, less modern so let's try to identify a what are the areas in which one looks to describe modern? Who are the people that might be um, sort of uh, singled out as being um, fathers of the movement of sorts, or at least um, people that, that we can put in that same framework? And we'll talk a little bit about some of it. So first of all, um, one would say the level 
of interaction with the world around, both in terms of perspective. Do we look at the Torah as, as focused on Jewish people and that's it? Or do we look at the world as a whole and Judaism as a message for all of humanity, except we're the only ones that hear the message and, and, and embody the message, or hope somebody, it's a better word of saying it. That's one area where there are differences, and that will give you... A, so modern would be, in a sense, universal versus parochial. Two, how much do we identify, um, how much of worldly mores, in other words, the dress of people, the mannerisms of people, the culture of people, the, 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 the sort of normal um, human uh, sort of activities and behavior. How much do we stand aside? How much do we um, become part of it? Finally, in terms of the hard sciences, how important and significant is it? And lastly, perhaps, the, the, what we call philosophy in the, in the big sense with a big P you know any liberal art type of, of, of pursuit how much of that would we incorporate allow um, and perhaps even find laudable those are the areas with which people have used to sort of grade different shades of modern less modern more modern and again it's always going to be shades of more and less so who are the people that are considered the sort of, I don't say the prototype, and one of them is going to be a real anachronism, but the Rambam is first. The Rambam being a person who was, um, that they, they don't, there's no, there was no bigger Talmud Chacham, somebody who was um, extremely, extremely conversant with um, philosophy and science of his day. He um, tackled um, ideas. It, it sometimes rejected them vehemently, sometimes incorporated them. Somebody who also interacted in terms of um, being a doctor, had a very small part of his life, but he was a doctor and a very important doctor, and we'll see some, a description of his. And final, so that's one. Two, um, <coughs> going very, very forward, one would, one would say Rav Shamsha Fall Hirsch, um, born in 1808, died in, or at, at 1888, um, he actually was, came to the world as a fanatic. In other words, German Jewry saw him as a reactionary. They saw him as a right-wing fanatic because he came in as somebody that was taking community that was gone and pushing them back. And he was able to do it because the beautiful Germany spoke, the ideas that he proposed, the way he gave over Torah, many, many things, and incorporated certain things in his understanding. Um, we have Rav Cook, who in many ways was very old-fashioned. He wore streimel, he wore long garments. Um, we would consider him probably a bit of a chassidish rebbe in, in terms of his uh, interactions and so on. On the other hand, he had a very universal look at things and welcomed certain areas of worldly of, of the knowledge and culture of the world, which he felt had value, great value, and so on. Finally, Rav Salvechik, who um, was also a Talmud Chacham of, of impeccable credentials, and was um, educated, spoke. Uh, I mean, he, he was extremely 
um, conversant with everything that, you know, philosophy, very, very, and um, presented his ideas in a way that were magnificent and was able to project an image that incorporated a lot bigger picture than just a Yiddish devil. Those are probably the four figures that are most, that, that have the credentials of being both very big time Chachamim and definitely had some of those elements we spoke about. I want to focus on two of the four. Um, the Rambam and Reb Shalfal Hirsch. And, and I, want to, um, I, I want to raise the following question that is going to be the point around which I'm bringing the material together. What distinguishes a modern Orthodox person from somebody who's just not keeping so many mitzvahs, from somebody who is just, who, who just by default floats along with the world around him? After all, Avram Avinu is called Ivri, the Medrash says, because the entire world was on one side of the, of the, of the river, he was the other. He, he was the lone man. He was the fanatic. He was the crackpot who didn't believe in what all scientists and philosophers believed in. We, 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 don't, we look at Avodah as being primitive, old-fashioned, etc., etc. Avodah was it. That was, that, that was society from A to Z was over Avodah He was the nut that said, you're all wrong, you're all crazy, and stood by it. So, so Avram Avinus, so how do we distinguish the two, one from the other? So I'd like to look at the Rama himself and get a feel for, I don't want to say conflicting, but, but the two sides of a person who is willing to go out and incorporate things, see things, and yet not someone who swept along, but makes a decision about what and when. Let's first look, I'm, I'm going to read from two places in the Rambam. Now, um, the, of the Rambam's Svarim, the Mishnah Torah usually should take first place. Mishnah Torah is the one written in Hebrew. That's why it's very important. Uh, the Mishnah Torah he wrote when he had all the freedom in the world, he was sitting and learning. He had nothing else on his mind. His brother supported him. He was able to sit for 10 years and, and, and make the Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah is his sense of the entire Torah uh, put together. Um, so Mishnah Torah usually should get primacy when, when discussing things. And then um, after that, I would choose his igros, his letters. Um, he, there are m letters of his around. Um, somebody, Professor Shalat, Yitzhak Shalat, uh, a, a modern Orthodox professor put them out. Wonderful job. I mean, they were put out before, but he really did a wonderful job on it. And he sifts through the letters that are authentic, the letters that might be authentic, and the letters that are certainly not authentic. And, and he does an amazing job. And it's worth, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very important. And then after that, the Moranavuchim and, and so on. But I, I want to look at one or two, three points, and, and we'll get a sense of how complex it is. The first place is in the Rambam's second chapter, Mishnah Torah. The Rambam speaks about how does one come to love God and to fear God. I'm going to, I'm going to read very little. What is, what is the way to love and fear God? So now I'm going to just translate. When a person looks around the world and he sees God's creation, incredible creation, and he sees a wisdom without end and nothing comparable, He's automatically drawn to it, inspired by it, praises it, 
and has a tremendous craving to get to know God. As King David said, my soul thirsts for you, O living God. And as a person is engaged in this thought, he's thrown back and he becomes scared and he says, I am this tiny infinitesimal little being with a, with a very, very shallow and small mind standing in front of the ultimate in, 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 in wisdom. Like, and then he quotes David Melch again. And the Ram says, and therefore I'm going to be spending two chapters over here describing the entire world and everything about it so that you get the same sense of awe that I have gotten. So the Rambam says, understanding and knowing the world around, the physical world we're talking about, and getting a deeper sense in, in its magnificence, its complexity, its order, its structure, brings you to love God and to fear God. He says something very similar in a letter of his. Um, and the letters are remarkable because it, the letters are dictated by whatever people asked him. It's, it's not a point that he's trying to make. S- someone asked him the following question. In the, if anybody has the shalat, uh, if anyone wants to look it up, it, it is the 32nd question. Um, it says in the Gemara that if somebody knows, has what it takes to know astronomy, and he doesn't engage in it, it's not good. Why? Why is it so important? That's what the question asked him. So he said, when they speak about Kufus Mazolus, it means astronomy in general. And they said, what does it mean if he knows? A person who has a brain and knows enough math um, and, and whatever else is needed to know astronomy, and he doesn't, and, and he's, and he doesn't engage in it, this, it's, it's, you know, the, the person is doing something that's not quite right. You asked me, what's the point of it? So he says, well, Reb Meir says in Avraisa, look at God's creations, because if you look into it, you're going to come to know the person that said and created the world. And therefore, we are, and therefore in the beginning of my great work, the Mishnah Torah, I explained it, I, I went through it all. So the Rambam here has an extremely positive, um, a, not only extremely positive, but one would say quite mandatory to look around and to see the world of God, God's creations, and to, to, to admire its complexity, its depth, and to be moved and inspired by it. That's one Rambam. Then the Rambam says, let me read another Rambam, which talks about Marais, culture, and so on. So this is in Hilchas Avodah um, 11th, uh, uh, the, the, the chapter 11, the first halacha. A person cannot go, cannot engage in chukos hagoyim. What is chukos hagoyim? Not the dress they wear, not the hairstyle they wear. Um, and he brings the psukim, three or four psukim. And it's, 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 it's the same thing. It's all these psukim have one point not to be similar culturally. The Jew, Aliyah Yisraeli Muvdoman, the Jew needs to be different, distinct, and he needs to be recognized by his dress and by his conduct, just like he is distinguished from them in, their under, in his understanding. And the Pasuk says, I will separate you from the nations around. So we're a very, very, very different approach. 
The Ramam says when it comes to the general cultural mores, we need to be distinct. We need to be able to look at somebody and say he's Jewish. And the Ramam it adds to it. The Ramam says because if your thinking and understanding is different, then you should reflect it in your mannerisms. I want to I, I, I want to flesh that out a bit. Um, if I were to introduce you somebody who is I would say this person, I, I tell somebody, no, I have a lot of money to invest. I have a few million dollars I'd like to invest. Could you introduce me to somebody, um, a, a, you know, a serious investment person? Then I would, um, and then introduce me to somebody who's dressed like a lifeguard. You know, it's not that a lifeguard may not know how to invest money, but it would take me a lot of convincing that this guy knows what he's doing. On the other hand, if I came to the beach, and the person sitting on the chair looked like he's a banker in a three-piece suit, I would hesitate to swim in the beach, unless I knew how to swim, because he doesn't strike me as being a very lifeguard type. So yes, it, 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 there, there are bankers who know how to swim, but there's something about a person's chitzonios. There's a reason why a person dresses a way. Color, style, formal, less formal, provocative, all of those are statements, and they should reflect who you are. If a Jewish person has a more serious outlook on life, then his clothing and his mannerisms and his bearing, everything about him should reflect it. And then the Ramah goes through certain halachas. He incorporates some real halachas into this, such as the, you know, the, the issue of cutting the pays and so on. Now, this is notoriously difficult to quantify halachically. You know, what do we consider the general dress? And... It's, it's, not an, it's not something where you can give very clear-cut halachic points about it, um, but at least in terms of perspective, the Rambam here seems to be extremely... It, 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 coming from a very different place, whereas the Rambam is in awe and feels it's a very religious obligation to look at the world in the big picture, at God's world, but on the other hand, in terms of culture, expression, so on, Ram seems very different. I, w- I want to read a letter, another letter to Rambam. This is a letter written to a Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef seemed to have been an extremely close disciple, Talmud Rambam. The Rambam wrote the Guide for Perplexed as a gift to this Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef had come, studied with the Rambam. The Rambam wrote the most beautiful letter about how he, he, how he's come to admire the student's depth and, and beauty of so on and so on. I don't know who it is, no one knows who it is, but this person must have been a huge person if the Rambam finds him to be... A, he was a disciple of the Rambam, he was a Talmud, he was much younger. But the Rambam writes extremely... He's, he always calls him my son, and he writes very, very admiringly of him. First of all, he writes about some personal tragedies, Talmud, and the Rambam comforts him about a, a, a young child that had died. And then he says, based, this is, if somebody's going to want to look it up, it's Ta'im Meigeret El Rabbi Yosef B'Inyan Mikea Chaim. It's Reish Amud Reish Samach Beis. If anybody wants to look it up inside. So, so we don't, the problem with the letters is we usually have the answer, we don't have the questions, like those, those, those contests where I'll give you the answer, tell me the question. So the, the, it seems as if the Rambam had just been appointed the doctor to the... Uh, to whoever the, 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 the king and, and um, he wrote him wow this is amazing so he says like this he answers him back my dear son knows 
that this important position of Jews at this time is not considered by me success and I don't think in any way this, um, it, it, this is a type of success one should aim for. It actually is quite bad, God forbid. Um, it, is, it is difficult, it, it, drudgery, and very, very difficult. Now, I think what he's hinting at is that if a Jewish person is in, in a very high position in the government, then usually, if he's successful, they won't give him much credit, and if he's not successful, it's the Jew that killed the, 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 the sultan. So, so the, you know, you don't get much, you don't get far. I think he's sort of hinting that. But then he says, the real success of a person is religious success, doing what you're supposed to do and not following the herd. And to stay away from, from, from bad and from what's reprehensible and, and, and so on. Besides which, as, as I become more important, you're always running the risk of people, um, a, a, of people getting jealous, people, um, you know, telling bad things about you to the king, which actually happened, and and eventually they'll break his bones for it. So, um, and he said, and if you try to pay politics, be nice to people, then you're engaging in chanufa, masaponim, in flattery, which which the Torah says is bad. Torah says you're not allowed to compliment people that are sinners, and therefore. I'm in a, stuck in a dilemma, and it's nothing to be to compliment me about. So the Rambam here does not seem to feel that his position is in any way um, good or important. Certainly not the success, the, the medical knowledge, yes, but the fact that everybody says, "Wow, look at this! Look what a Jew can can, can become in Mitzrayim." The Rambam did not feel that that was very very successful. One more area where I think it's important that the Rambam, understanding the Rambam, how the Rambam sort of split two different types of knowledge. The Rambam, this is the Rambam guy for perplexed. It's in the second part. The, the guy for perplexed has three parts to it, and it's Perikhaf Beis. He says, I will tell you a, a general rule, and even though um, some people don't like this, um, meaning people that are more quote-unquote from than him but I still want to tell you what I believe is true anything that Aristotle speaks about the natural world now he uses a different phrase his phrase is that which is under the galgalireach we'll translate it for our terms anything which is in our natural world trust Aristotle Aristotle's much of Aristotle was written was science and he felt and it's true hundred percent um, stick by it because the only people that don't hold of it are people that are either prejudiced or they have an issue with him um, but anything that Aristotle speaks beyond that all it is is a hypothesis a fantasy of his and it's something which very little to be gained by it and so on no proof and so on in other words the Rambam cuts a very sharp line between science provable, testable to ideas philosophies and so on it's not that the Rambam doesn't use Aristotle's ideas when he feels it's the right description but he has zero in terms of an a priori trust to what he said it's not right because Aristotle said it it, it just, it's right because I find out that in the Torah, Aristotle has the best formulation for it. 
So, so here we understand the Rambam has a nuanced ap- approach. Again, accepting science because it's testable, provable, and anything that's hypothesis, ideas, philosophies, and so on, much, much more cautious and not willing to give him that type of, uh, of you know, flat, uh, you know, kind of uh, credits. Yeah. Okay. 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 Good Hanukkah, fellow Hanukkah boys, girls. Okay. Now we can now we can get to the adult stuff. You know, I got rid of the kids now. Okay. Um, so, so so the Rambam is actually very very nuanced in his approach, and. The one thing that, and we'll see in Shabbat Shavuot Hirsch also, maybe I'll try to finish round four and then we'll have some time for, for, for questions and stuff. Rabbi Shavuot Hirsch, um, like we said before, he, his upbringing was a combination of, he went to university a bit, he never had a degree, never graduated. He studied in Hungary with a, and, and in Germany, he studied by, by the Arf Lener and so on. He, let's try to in, in a it's it's everybody tries to make him out to be what he is. Um, he's 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 everything from Haredi to super modern orthodox, depending on who's writing the book. But in an honest way, let's try to just f- point out some things. He he's unlike other rabbanu of his generation. He spoke a beautiful German a beautiful, sophisticated German that was extremely pleasant to listen to. It was a masterful orator, and, and it, it, he, it was no shame to sit and listen to him. Two, his understanding of what Torah is and what it's for was universal. I mean, on and on and on in his, in his forum, he speaks about how Torah is a way to make the entire world a good world, and we Jewish people are sort of the spearhead. We're sort of the the, the, the advanced God to make it happen. But he's spoken an awful lot about it. Three, he admired um, certain thinkers that he felt were extremely um, were 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 brought out ideas magnificently. There was a German poet, one of the great ones, Schiller that he said if he would have met him, he would have made a bracha on him because he felt that he had so much wisdom. So those are areas that one could identify him as modern. However, let me read something. This is from somebody named Gretz. I hope you've heard of him. Um, He was the first Jewish historian. Um, Let's say religiously, he'd probably be identified as a conservative Jew today. Um, traditional in, 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 in sort of, not religious, but traditional, mm-hmm. engaged in Jewish studies, but didn't believe really, really in Torah Sinai. And th- that was, that was the f- he, he is actually considered to be in many ways part of that, of that general culture. Him, Zachary Frank, and others, th- that was sort of the, what, what would be the predecessors of conservative Judaism today. He, got, he wrote a letter to Rav Hirsch, he had, Rav Hirsch had put out a book, The 19 Letters, that really was the first Kirov outreach book. 
and people were very taken by it. He was the first one that could present Yiddishkeit in a language that fit that fit his um, you know generation. And he wrote a letter. I'm a troubled yeshiva book. I'd like to study with you. He spent three years studying with Rav Shamsha Fal Hirsch. He left, and then he sort of changed and became non-from. You know what traditional whatever it is. But he has a diary, Gretz, and it was printed in German. I can. I can read a very halting German, but but I, I saw the English translation. I just couldn't find the English translation print. I could only find the German, um, so I, I'm not going to read it. I mean, I can, I can read it, but it's not going to help me or you. So I just have it so that you you know that it's there. What are the things he studied with Hirsch? Well, they'd, get, they'd wake up four in the morning. So if you want to read modern orthodox, I wake up four in the morning to study. Um, you learn Gemara and Arachayim. Six to eight is beten and frühstück, which means davening and breakfast. Eight to ten is Gemara. Ten to twelve, Greek. Um, one to three, Geschichte or the Latin or the Physik, um, which means either history or Latin or physics. Three to five, mathematics and geography. Six to eight, Tanakh and Apoisik. That was a schedule. It says the places he sat and they would read for, it, it, sometimes they switched around, they, they would do camp together, and so on. On the other hand, on the same page, he brings a story. He said they were reading something, a philosopher, he says the name also, it, this, this actually doesn't mean anything to me. Heinz Salon, um, was there full of blasphemia and minosis. He said, Rashan Falhurst, they were reading it, and he said, this is full of kefir and apicarsis. Let's burn the book, and I'll pay for it at the library. No, he, he said, I'm going to burn the book. So Gratz told him what belongs to the library. He says, we'll pay the library, and we'll burn the book. It's also to keep a book like that. Finally, prevailed on him not to burn the book, so he just sliced out the page that was, that was Kfira and sent it back. That does not sound very modern orthodox. Um, he was very strong about it. Um, there was his, his wealthiest Balabas who supported him. His name was Rothschild. Okay, so it's come for a surprise. Rothschild was a family of, of wealthy people, and the mayor Anshel was the first one, and then I think he didn't have children. But the, the one that, that was in, in Frankfurt was Willie, uh, Carl, I think, Rothschild, and he was a big supporter. He built his buildings and so on and so forth. His daughter fell in love with somebody not religious, not observant at all. And he came and he asked Ashanshal Hurst if he should consent to her marrying this boy. And he said, no. So he said, well, she's threatened to commit suicide if I don't let her get married to him. And he thought a moment and he said, even so. Um, Rothschild never spoke to him again. He, he, he was uh, furious, never spoke to him again. He actually did build a building for him, but he never spoke to him. This daughter married this boy. Uh, all the children are, are Goyim. In other words, literally Goyim. They just, every single one of them assimilated, gone. But that was very, very strong. Um, he fought battles. There were, in that movement that was sort of between orthodoxy and unorthodoxy that we spoke about, like Gretz, was called Yiddish Wissenschaft, which meant Jewish science. It's what's called Jewish studies today. Rashad Hirsch felt that they all are starting from the point of non-belief of Mesorists from Sinai, and therefore it's puzzle. And there was one particular person um, I believe it was Chaya Frankel, um, who, whose works were considered to be okay, and he came out strongly against it. 
the big issue was did the rabbis invent the halachas or did they get or was it a Masoras halachas? And there were other rabbis who felt that he's unjustly maligning this other person. And he stood his ground. In the end, he said, all I need is him to make one statement. I accept everything he says, one statement. He believes that the Torah Shabbat as we have, it was given me Sinai. Meaning, the basic halachas of how, what, when, and where. There are machlokas that came later, obviously, but still, he never would, he never, he never would do that. And today, you know, obviously, it's, it's today, it's in, in hindsight, it's much clearer. One more area that he would be extremely different. He, his last battle he fought, Reb Shavuot Hirsch, was a battle he did not win in his lifetime. And it hurt him terribly, and, and the community was very upset. And it was called Ostrit. Let me explain what that was. In the old days, church and government were very closely married. And even the Jewish community was sort of a, there was some government involvement. The government allowed you an autonomous community. They allowed you to tax the people in the community. They, uh, they, they allowed you to, to maybe have a bezdit, maybe not. They, you know, it, 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 people, kings were not happy with having people run their own affairs. It, so everything had to go through the government. So the Jewish community of Germany was one community. You know, th- th- that was it. It was the Jewish community. If Shalshafal Hirsch, you could not secede from the community. You could become a Christian or be a Jew part of the community. He was not allowed to be called a community. He was called um, Israelitische Religiese Gesellschaft, which means Jewish Religious Society. That's all it was, a society. They, they had to pay taxes to the main community and double, and double, you know, whatever they wanted for themselves. He had a law passed. He fought for it bitterly that Jews do not belong to the Jewish community. They can form their own Jewish community. You could have this community, this community, this community. And when the law passed, he got up in shul and he said, everyone has an obligation to separate themselves from the main community. People, only about a third of the community went along with him. And it hurt him. After he died, almost everybody went, you know, made their own community. Not clear why, but those also something that is remarkably different in the sense that just seeing the bigger picture, because he said, I accept everyone as a Jew and I love everyone, but I will not belong to a group that does not believe what I believe and feel that this is, that this is Judaism. He said, if it's going to be only dealing with secular things, you know, um, nursing homes, um, you know, food for poor people, shelter, and so on, I'm willing to go along. But not if this is what religion is, because I'm making a statement denying the truth as I know it. So, we'll just wrap up, and then we can talk a few minutes. The, so, so it's, it's really a very complex picture. And, and let, me, let me tell you what I think is a takeaway from at least these two figures. Doing what everyone else does is not a positive value. Making a decision what one does. So for instance, let's give an example. If we make a decision that if everybody wears Hasidic clothing, you're not going to be able to find many jobs in society. It, it, it'll, it'll be very restrictive because people just snatch you, will not hire you, have anything to do with you. 
and it will create a lot of pressure. Therefore, we need to look more like everybody else, which I think was what the white community, religious community did. That's a decision. You can make a decision that there's much of value, and we need to have Jewish doctors, Jewish lawyers, and so on and so forth. But one needs, in order to see a decision, one needs to be able to see what yes, what not. If, if the answer is automatically what they do, we do, then we are them. If someone else sets the standard for us, so it's, it, no, a person, there are many reasons to pick and to choose different areas. So there were groups that felt the best thing is total insulation. Hungary worked like that. The advantage of that is you tend to preserve things. The disadvantage is the community is very restrictive. You, if a person has the ability to become an engineer, a doctor, or anything like that, there's no place for him to be that. If, if he comes in contact with, with, the, with nations around, he's severely handicapped. There are things that you can't incorporate that are good, structural things, administrative things, many things that society has developed that, that, that is good, you lose the ability to incorporate that. That's the, so the advantage is you preserve very strongly with a lot of warmth and so on. On the other hand, you're handicapped. And as you move along the continuum to being more and more open to society and you, you give people more opportunities, you, you allow for certain things that society has come up with that's positively incorporated. On the other hand, people lose the sense of why we're different, unique, and the strength to be able to say, you know, everybody can think differently, I think differently. Um, those, it, 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 there's, no, it, there's no way I can, one can sit down and say, this is better, this is better. In Germany, Schoenfelder saved Germany. In Hungary, um, Sam Sofa, who was extremely restrictive in the way he went about things, um, arguably saved Hungary. Um, you know, and, and one can, if one is honest, one can just point at the positives and the problems of each group. But the one thing that's absolutely needed to identify as a group that's worth discussing, that has legitimacy, is that you don't do what everybody else does, but you ask yourself, is going to a ball game a good thing or a bad thing? Could be either, could be neither. But, but the question is, am I willing to take, am I willing yes to do it or not to do it? That's the most important piece. And what's my standard? Where am I measuring it against? Because everybody thinks like this, is that does it make it right or not? Am I willing to take a stand ideologically that's opposite in the world? Um, that's the test. Are you a Torah Jew who is who has is expressing Torah through modernity, or through whatever way you want to express it, or am I just a person who's stuck between two worlds with a foot in each world? And you know, when you have a foot in two places and one keeps going to the other, you, you, it's at some point you have to make a very tough choice. That's just sort of a, a, a bit of, a, of an overview of things. Now I'll allow you to speak, ask questions, whatever, whatever, however you want to go about it. Yeah. Okay. Where are you from, yourself, Mrs. Zegi? Could, could you do self? I, I know your husband. I see your husband around, but uh, Thank you so much. where did you go up yourself? <coughs> <coughs> okay. Right. Right. Um, so I guess I, you know, wondering when we when we talk about this in class, 
know, tomorrow or Thursday. Um, just if we have any specifics or people that we can really turn to today who embody this more, I guess, modern Orthodox viewpoint, um, view of the world, who can take a stand um, and still have the respect of others who are around them. I find like it's very, the world is very splintered right now and it's very right. hard for somebody to take a stand. So I don't know if there's somebody that we can turn to who is really going to be an example today. So, I mean, I said Rabbi Lichtenstein's Hohen of Rachel was somebody, but he's gone. Um, so, so, I would say the people who, who can respect, who have the respect as a Talmud Chacham and, and, you know, a person of stature, would probably be people in Yeshiva University who today, you know, many quote-unquote modern orthodox are putting them into centrists. Very hard, because like I said before, these labels are very hard. But, but th- that's, that's, a, it, it, that's a place where people have, um, you know, where Salvechik's um, standard of what a Tam Chacham is stayed. So at least there's some sort of, so, so there are people there. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to pinpoint someone in a particular, um, but but I think that's at least somewhere where we, one can go to. In Israel, you have a bigger, you have another complication, because in Israel there's Zionism, religious Zionism, but some religious Zionists, in many ways, might be Haredi-like. In other words, it, you have a you have a strange triangle. You know, you know, like it's like scissor has it go scissor paper rock. The, you know, which one cuts which. Um, in Israel, the split is a lot more between religious Zionism. And Haredi, which is azionistic at best, the the um, th- that is um, one split. Religious Zionists, some of them overlap with modern Orthodox, go to university, army, so on and so forth. Some of them are actually extremely, extremely insula- self-insulated, and have no uh, regard for the culture around. So in certain ways, those are very Haredi-like. Couldn't care less what the world thinks. Couldn't care less what it says. Um, doesn't doesn't give much um, respect to anything in the world. S- so are those people? In which camp are they? So, you know, the problem is when we try to identify people and, and so on. So in Israel, you would have, I guess, in the religious Zionist camp, there are people that probably would fill that. But t- it's hard for me to identify exactly the the um, who that might be. I don't know. You know, it's. I, I, a towering figure. I, I assume Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein might have been the last person that was a genuine. Um, he has a Talmud, Yibbutz Chaim Tovim Rosenzweig in, in University. I, I'm not familiar with him. I just know that he's a brilliant man and he's big Talmud Chacham and a Talmud. I'm not sure if he if he expresses himself on these topics. Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein expresses himself very very much. Rabbi Lichtenstein was an actually living example. Of somebody, he was an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. He was an extraordinarily knowledgeable person, very open to things, but also very, very strong sense. There were things he didn't look at, things he didn't want to. In other words, it wasn't a laxity. There were things he, he didn't just accept things because they were there. He accepted things because he felt he had something valuable to say. And that's hard, you know. Most people, it's more a, 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 a relaxed sense of things rather than a, a critical sense of things. Um, I mean, if, if people would if people would read Rabbi Lichtenstein's again, they're not easy reads, but he 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 examines himself a lot. He doubts himself. He he, he formulates his ideas in ways that are remarkable. I mean, it's very very. I mean, 
I mean, the person was a, was a was a huge person, and the, the I, I just want to give an example of what it means to be something like that. Um, on one tish above, so people were sitting in his house and eating after tish above. It's a long hot day, long fast, and somebody knows the baron is not around, and he asked the rebbitzim, Where, "Where's the baron?" And she said, "You know, on tish above, there are two things you can't do." You can't eat and you can't learn Torah. Everybody runs for the thing he misses the most after Tisha B'Av. My husband is sitting and learning, and the first thing he's doing is learning now. And then he'll get hungry. Um, so, you know, yes, that's a very different, that, that's not just somebody who's just kind of, you know, the word easy doesn't describe that. You know, and, and uh, so, again, I, I, I would assume, I, I know Rev. Rosenzweig is a Talmud, I, I don't know. If if he if he articulates these things, if he's into, I have no idea. No, and and and, and when we're talking about there were shades of people. Uh, I had a Rebbe who just passed away a year ago. Now also it's a Rebbe Shapiro, Tzvi He was an extraordinary person, um, very deep, brilliant. He, to the outsider, he was typically Haredi, I guess. Learned in all the yeshivas. And uh, looked Haredi. He was a person who could express himself extraordinarily eloquently and took his ideas from many places, but you never had a sense that he's incorporating foreign ideas. He, he, he re- In other words, his, his mindset was Torah, but his vocabulary and his ability to put things in that were remarkable. There was a great French philosopher that heard him and he said this was somebody that had been very close um, to Sada. His name was Benny Levy, a French philosopher, totally secular. He was Sada's uh, secretary and he, he got um, closer to Shapiro and he became Haredi. And he said this man is brilliant beyond words. But you know, his, his, he, he would in public would not quote anything other than Torah. Privately, you could talk to him, and, and he was. Uh, he told me once. I once asked him something, and he said, "This is Leibniz's first argument, uh, you know, for for there being another uh, being, you know, something like that." I, I was like, kind of, you know, take it aback. Right? He, uh, he said offhandedly. He said, "Yeah, basically, you're going back to his first argument." Um, but he would never. He didn't feel it was right to say it in Spanish. So he knew a lot, used it as he felt right, but you know, so. so I, I said it's it's, it's much more complicated than just labeling, you know, uh, this, this, or this. It's, uh, the, the world is it comes with many dimensions. Yes. What is it about Kukinerov that made you want to discuss the Rambam and Kukinerov instead? First of all, because they're older. You know, knows the Rambam is certainly stands apart, and Rev. Kirk, Rev. Cook, his real fundamental self, in other words, the, the, the most underlying theme in his writings in Rev. Cook was, um, was Israel and the redemption and Zionism. M- he also was universal, but if you really wanted to s- identify him, Zionist is, is really the word. That, that, that was the core other, so to speak. Rosalvechik R- was more difficult. I've heard, I heard it myself a few times. I listened to a lot of tapes. Um, it was amazing, <laughs> but it, hard to know where his heart was. 
Um, he, you know, he is. He, he felt very comfortable in a in a yeshivish jargon and environment, um, and the people around him who became who who became or stuck to being Haredi yeshivish swore by all that's holy and good that that's what he was, and everything else was just a way of expressing himself. It's hard to see that. I don't know. You know, I I find that I. I he, I find that his own grandchildren have extremely conflicting opinions about him. In, t- in terms, everyone has the opinion that he was a, a huge person. But was there an, was there a main part and just a part that was mm-hmm. used as a tool? Um, his son, his grandson, Moshe Tversky, Shemin Kondomo, who was killed three years ago in a, in a, in a terrorist attack. Moshe Tversky, his grandson, was a malach. I mean, I, he was a neighbor of mine. He, he would have been the Galador if he wouldn't have been killed. I mean, he, he, his, his, his being a Talmud Chacham, his Anava, his Tzitkis, his Midos, the, the man was way beyond anyone I know of my, of, of, of any peers that I could think of. He was, he was killed, well, Kiddush Hashem. But um, he, he was very strong. He said, you know, when my grandfather began losing his, abil- his cognitive abilities, he, he had a decline for years, he said, learning, he always was able to speak and learning. He spoke in Yiddish and in learning. So that was the real person. Everything else was a tool, but that's not the real him. That's what he told me. Um, and he was very sincere about it, very strong about it. Does that reflect him? Does that reflect him? I don't know. You know, it's, it's, he, 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 was, he, he was a man that had a l- many sides to him, and probably all of them are true. But it was hard for me to, to pinpoint and say, this was the person. You know, it's uh, it's so so. I'll say that's why I went to these there earlier, and and uh, there's there's more that we can look at and, and and see that. That's that's the reason why I picked them. Yes, say that. Um, so we had like a few months ago, Eitan Gross wrote his um his this um article. Right. And what does it mean for the future? Like, where's this modern orthodoxy going in the future? So let me tell you, I would include all of us, not even my Orthodox, and let me explain to you why. You can, you can create a system that creates general social mores and activities. Shul, davening, lulvesic, tzitz, and so on and so forth. You can't really create a system that inspires and invigorates. And every movement goes through that crisis. Hasidus started as a highly inspirational movement. It's morphed into also a big group of people with bureaucracy and and, and institutions, you know, moving from that. So in in modern orthodoxy, it's it's critical because being able to, to have that inspiration while you're outside is critical. You, you can't, a, a person can remain a Shoma Mitzvah if he's somewhat insulated, even if he's not on fire. You can't do that if you're in the outside world. I, you know, if you're, in a, if you're floating with the tide and the tide is going to the right place, you'll float to the right place, whether it's the best thing or not. But, but if you have to go against the tide, unless you're swimming really hard, so, so that's why it's a big challenge. It's also a very big challenge to be able to explain the importance of a world and significance, and yet explain that this is more important. Like I told people, if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, say that Yeshu is the true God, you're supposed to say, shoot. 
If somebody puts a gun to your head and says, tell me that a triangle has 200 degrees, and you know, if you add up the angles, you tell them 250, whatever you want. You know, it's, it's a hard, it, it, it needs to be, that's a piece needs to be emphasized. When we talk about incorporating, the, you know, using modern, um, use, using what modern science has brought us, what modern society positive has done, but understanding the difference between there's only one thing that's and that's a, it's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson because um, it demands, you know, there was something, somebody wrote an article about paying tuition for, for you know, the high price of tuition. This was a very famous article sent around. And, um, and the person said he went to financial advisor and the person looked at what he does and he says, you know, you're paying too much for your religion. Your religion demands 50 cents of your budget from tuition plus eating kosher plus Pesach vacation. That's over 50 cents of your budget. That's where your problem is. Well, but in the morning, I said, Religion demands 100%. The Rambam, in, 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 in the place that the Rambam gets most excited is in Shmona Prokham, which is the introduction to Pirka Ovis. The Rambam says there is a Mishnah, there's one Mishnah in Pirka Ovis that has a message so powerful that it is more important than anything else written. And, it's, and the message and the mission is um, in other words everything a person does he needs to ask himself yes or no the same thing like it's not enough to say well I'm modern I go to a ball game is it good to go what am I gaining what am I losing um, I'm, I'm reading this I'm doing this report I'm taking literature I'm taking science I'm taking physics everything can have an answer either way but I need to be honest and I need to ask the question what do I gain and what do I lose from it? Um, um, you know, is, is this something that has important significance? Th there's nothing wrong with taking time off, but I have to label it. Time off. How much time off is right? Um, it, it, that's, that's a really, really difficult um, piece. It's, it, it, modern orthodoxy is not easier. It's harder if that's what you're doing. If you're just sort of saying, okay, it's a relaxed Judaism, then, then it's, it's going to unravel. If you're telling me it's a very, very tough Judaism, I need to be firm and I need to take some positions that are extremely um, uncomfortable today about family, about marriage, about children, about everything. That having children is positive. That, that marriage is a man or woman. Koshba created it. That's what the Torah says. It's not popular today. But neither was Zavodah Zorah. And in hindsight, we say, well, you know, I don't know. But, but we need to be able to stand strong and firm and proud of who and what is right, and yet be able to use the tools that the world affords us. It's a tough one. It's, to be a person of that stature is, is not easy. And that's what I'm saying. It, it's, and, and that's why I think this point is made that, that, that it is a very strong point in that way. Okay. So um, it's been a pleasure being with you. I, I've, 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 it's not the first time I've spoken. I find the, the, the boys and the girls to be very thoughtful. Uh, I keep saying boys, the boys, Shiva versus boys. When I speak to boys, boys, girls, girls. But <laughs> I, I find the, the young people here really to be thoughtful and um, questions. And, and you know, and, uh, like some of you I've got to know over the years from the neighborhood. Um, you're you all seniors, I assume? Or what, what? Yes. Yeah. So you have a big year ahead next Except year? for me. What? I'm in 10. Okay, so, but you're, um, 
Ve'ez Hashem, you should, you should have a wonderful year next year. It's an amazing year for most people. It's, it's really, really a, 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 a year of transformation, a formative year. And uh, as understand, it's like, it's like when you have a, a, a drill, you have a motor and you have bits. Torah is the motor. Which bit you're going to use for what? Modernity is a bit, Hasidus is a bit, Yeshivish is a bit. All of these are different bits that you put onto, onto the motor. But you don't choose the, the motor is the motor, and that has to be running strong and powerful. Even if you need a very fine line, it's going to reflect itself in the bit, but, but the motor is strong and powerful. Yiddishkeit has to be strong, powerful, and ready to make a decision no matter how difficult it is. Then you also need to make decisions, and, and there are many decisions, different people, different circumstances, different times. That's why Akash Baruch made many tribes, many different ways of expressing it. Each person based on what he's good at, and, and, the, and, you know, and, and what the times and the place needs. Okay, a fellow Hanukkah. You get the first, the, 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 the first, the first part of it. Okay, I got.